Amen. Good morning. Good to see all of you this morning. Just want to say thank you to all of the folks that made Thursday night uh, the women's Christmas event happen. That was a wonderful night. Uh, also want to let you know today that all of your wonderful and generous gifts to the children at Mexicali have been safely delivered. Uh, yes, we want to... We want to thank Jeff and Teresa Lindquist and Tom and Joyce Brown. They were the ones that took those down to Pastor Miguel and Carmen the other day. And I just want to say a greetings to Pastor Miguel and Carmen today from the church here in Gilbert. We, we love you all, and we are partners together. And we just hope that we can be a blessing to them this Christmas. And then I just, again, want to put on your radar for next year the first Sunday of 2024, January the 7th. May we all be in the house of the Lord that day. And may we make 2024 the year that we are as faithful to the house of God as we have ever been. God is calling his people to be faithful in all areas. But specifically for us as a church to be faithful to God's house in 2024. And so uh, let's get started on the right note and make sure that we're all here on January the 7th. 1 Samuel 25 this morning. 1 Samuel chapter 25 as we continue our series on David, the worshiping warrior of God. And this is a fascinating chapter in the Bible. Uh, it's a full chapter a long chapter. There's a lot here, but in order to track our footsteps through this chapter, we're going to be looking at some different people and different words and different phrases to sort of plot our path through the passage this morning. Before we get specifically into the passage, three things I want to share that sort of cover the passage, if you will, uh, sort of as an umbrella things that you'll see throughout the passage. It always relates back to these things. One is this. This passage reminds us how important is our attitude. In fact, you've heard me say to you before, it is our attitude, not our aptitude, that determines our altitude. Okay? Attitude is everything. And you're going to see that on full display here in 1 Samuel 25. Second, any day and every day is a big day. <laughs> there are no such things in our life as just throwaway days. Because especially as someone connected to the God of the universe, the Father of eternity, Every day and any day that we live is somehow affecting the landscape of eternity. Think about that. Either one way or the other, our life is either being affected or we are affecting others in one way or another for eternity, any day and every day. And you see that here in this passage. The other thing that you will see is this. 
The Bible teaches us that circumstances in our life, situations in our life, are the laboratory for our faith to be expressed. You know, when I was in school, like you, you know, you would have, say, a chemistry class, a lecture by the chemistry teacher, but then you would also have a laboratory so that you could put into practice with your hands what you were learning in the lecture. So there was a lecture and a lab. Our spiritual life is much the same. We have Bible studies and we have lectures, if you will, and we all get into the word of God and we hear God speak to us and all of that. But the laboratory is not only the situations and circumstances that we navigate in our life, the laboratory is our interaction with each other. Our relationships provide the laboratory. That's why God says, I want you to do this together with other people. That's why there's families that he created. And, and we have friendships and we have a church family and all of that. Because God is saying, you need other people to provide you the relationships for you to be able to express your faith and live out your faith, you see. And so we're certainly going to see that principle in this chapter as well. We begin this chapter, though, with the death of Samuel, a very significant Old Testament figure. He was the unique transition between the time of the judges and the time of prophets. He was, in a sense, the first prophet. And, and if you know the story of Samuel, you know that even him coming onto the scene of human history was a miracle and a response of his mother's prayers to God, Hannah. And God heard her prayers and gave her a son named Samuel, and then she in turn gave that son right back to God and dedicated him to the Lord. And the Lord used Samuel greatly throughout his life. But like all of us, you see, Samuel died and all Israel assembled and mourned him. I just want to say, one thing about that. Death is an appointment, according to the Bible, and it is an appointment for every human being that we should be preparing for every day. What is it that we will be known for when we pass from this life to the next? What will our legacy be? What will people think of us when we go from this life to the life to come. Death is an appointment, an appointment that all of us every day should be preparing for. Next, we are introduced, obviously, to David. David left and went down to the desert of Paran, and there was a man in the region of Paran who had business in Carmel. He was a very wealthy man, verse uh, 2, and at that time, his servants were shearing sheep in Carmel. The man's name was Nabal, whose name means senseless or foolish one. In fact, if you look over in verse 25, we're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves. His wife even says, yeah, he lives up to his name because his name means fool. And that's what he's acting like. Remember, Last week I said that my title for this chapter was A Cool Head Among Hotheads. 
Nabal is one of the hotheads in the chapter, and the other one we're going to see in just a moment is David. So there's Nabal. But then notice also in verse 3, we have his wife, whose name was Abigail, which means my father's joy. What a contrast. And by the way, unlike her husband, she was wise and beautiful, but her husband was a harsh man whose deeds were evil. These are two strikingly contrasting souls, and they're married to each other. See spouses looking. No, I'm just teasing. <laughs> we don't know. We have no details about how these two got hooked up. Was it a situation culturally where she was made to marry this man? You know, sort of a prearranged marriage. That's very possible in that day and age. It's very possible that Abigail was a different person when she married Nabal, and the things that attracted her at the time she married this man, like his wealth and power and prestige, were things that didn't really matter later on because maybe God got a hold of her heart and her heart changed, and so she had different values and different priorities. And certainly God did get a hold of this gal's life because we're going to see she's really the heroine in this passage, not David. Notice it says in verse 4, when David heard in the desert that Nabal was shearing his sheep, he sent ten servants saying to them, go up to Carmel to see Nabal and give him greetings in our name. Now, I want to point this out. The reason we're told several times here already that this was the time of shearing sheep is that was a very festive celebratory time. In fact, you see over in verse 8, it was actually called a time of holiday when the sheep were sheared and the wool was gathered in. So this would have been a time like the harvest time in, in our agriculture time where they were having parties and they were having celebrations and they were thanking the Lord for what he had provided. So keep that in mind here. That's part of why in the timing of this, David is sending these servants up to Nabal. And notice the greeting that he once these servants to say to Nabal, peace be to you, peace to all that is yours. And then at the end of verse 8, notice they are to say to Nabal and to his servants, really, please provide us with whatever you can spare. Now, let's take a little bit of time to give a little bit of background here. Why would David be asking for this request? Well, first of all, this is a minimal request based upon the benefits that David's men have been providing for Nabal's servants who've been watching the sheep. In fact, you see that down here later on in verses 14, 15, 16, and 17, whenever one of the servants comes back to Abigail to tell them Notice she says to Abigail, these men, verse 15, of David's were very good to us. They did not insult us, nor did we sustain any loss during the entire time we were together in the field, both day and night. Actually, David's men were a protective wall for us the entire time we were with them while we were tending the flocks. In other words, David's men had had a very positive and peaceful interaction with Nabal's servants. 
And so what David is simply saying is, hey, we in a sense provided a service for you, Nabal, and all your servants while they were tending the sheep. Could you just maybe just give us a little benefit from that? So he's not asking for a lot here. In fact, in that culture, he shouldn't have even had to ask. In that culture, Nabal, knowing that this had happened, he should have been the one to actually offer to David and his men to, you know, compensate them in some way for their services rendered. And these services that were rendered, again, were over and above what would have been expected in that day. So keep that in mind. But then notice verse 9. When David's servants get to Nabal and begin to speak the words of peace and prosperity and this request to Nabal, notice what Nabal's response is. He hurled a great insult to David. He says, who is this David? And who is this son of Jesse? Now, he knows who he is. What he's basically saying is, we would, we would use this terminology today, Nabal's dissing David. He's dismissing David. He, he's treating David as if he is of no account. I thought to myself, in sort of applying this and relating this to us, how often people on earth treat Jesus the same way. Who's Jesus? Who's the son of God? He's no big deal. I don't need to accept him. I don't need his help. I don't need his salvation that he's offering me. I don't need his forgiveness. And they treat Jesus as if he is of no or very little value. You see, one of the things that we're going to see here is that Abigail, because of her heart for God and her heart being aligned with God, she viewed David much differently than her husband did. And one of the reasons why was because she had heard and believed in the word of God, that David would one day be the future king of Israel and that this man was God's choice. Nabal was not acknowledging that or recognizing that. He was actually doing just the opposite. He was insulting and dissing David. So as they hear this, he says in verse 11, should I take my bread, my water, and my meat that I have slaughtered? Well, actually, Nabal, you haven't done any of it. Your servants have done it all. And give it to David's men? I don't even know where they came from. You see here, there's not a grateful, generous, or gracious bone in Nabal's body. So David's servants, verse 12, they went on their way. You can almost imagine what's going through their heads as they're walking back to where David's at. Oh, my. Wonder how David's going to react to this. So they get back there. They tell David, verse 12, all these things. And notice David's response. Then David instructed his men, each of you strap on your sword, 
So each one strapped on his sword, and David also strapped on his sword, and about 400 men followed David up while 200 stayed behind with the equipment. David is so incensed by Nabal's reply that he basically says, we're going up and kill them all. David's anger got the best of him. David the merciful has now become David the vengeful. Remember just a few days earlier, David had the chance to kill Saul in that cave. And yet David on that day was so merciful and and was treating Saul the way God would have David to treat him. And now just a few days later, David's totally reacting differently. What does this teach us? It teaches us that any day and every day is a big day. Because you and I can be spiritual, we can can react spiritually, we can treat others the way we should and in a God-honoring way one day, and the very next day, we can fall flat on our face. And, and, And we can make bad choices. And we can act on impulse rather than on principle like David is doing here. And we can let things like anger get the best of us one day and not another day. And that's why the Bible teaches us as God's people, there is no throwaway days in our lives. Every day we must stay connected to God and we must be hearing from him and seeing him and and worshiping him and and absorbing what he wants us to, to take in because We can't live off of the fumes of yesterday today. Or else we're not going to do as well that day as we did the day before. Every day. And that's why Jesus taught his followers, give us this day our daily bread. I, I can't live off of what I've done in the past in the present. I've got to keep my spiritual life current at all times. And so many Christians, we, we're, we just haven't gotten there yet. We, we live from week to week or month to month, and, and, and we're trying to survive without doing the daily consistent thing with God, walk with God. And then we wonder, why was I so living in victory today, and the very next day I'm living in defeat. Well, is there a lack of continuity and consistency? Am I not realizing that any day and every day is a big day because the landscape of eternity could be shaped on any given day? And that's not only true negatively with David here, who's getting ready to make a huge mistake that could negatively affect the rest of his life as well as so many other lives. But on a positive note, notice then in verse 14, you have Abigail. And Abigail is going to be God's instrument and and be used in such a positive way. 
Because even though verse 14 doesn't start out, but God, that's the way it could start out. It starts out by telling us that one of the servants comes back and tells Abigail everything that has transpired between Nabal, her husband, and David. But guess what? God is behind all that. God is the one who is front and center, who, is, who has been prompting this servant, whoever it was, to come to Abigail. And the reason why God is doing that is because God wants to tap her for a very important assignment that when she woke up that morning, she had no idea how she was going to affect eternity. She just thought, ah, oh, it's just a normal day. No, this is a day God's going to tap you to do something really significant and really important, which is why, again, any day and every day with God is a big day. And the reason why God is going to tap Abigail is because God knows he can trust her. That's something you and I need to absorb. When God has an assignment, a mission, something he needs a human being for or wants a human being for, does he tap us because he knows he can trust us? And the reason he knew he could trust Abigail is it's obvious in the implication of the chapter that here's a young woman and at some point in her life, man, she got on board with God and she got on fire for God. And here's a young woman that's connected to God and has the wisdom of God. I mean, you saw that back. She's not only beautiful, she's not only beautiful, you know, externally and outwardly, she's beautiful inwardly. And she is living her life with the wisdom of God, and therefore God's going to tap her. And by the way, this also then illustrates for us, one person can make all the difference in the world. One person. God doesn't need an army because he can make an army out of one person. That's what he might be looking for here today. Just will you and I be willing to give ourselves to the Lord and say, Lord, use me however you want to. God, I would love it if you would tap me because you feel you can trust me because I'm walking with you every day. And like we talked about Wednesday night with the Apostle Paul, I'm putting myself in a position where I'm ready and at the ready anytime, God. I, I'm always at your disposal it is my availability, God, and I'm just making myself available to you every day. And obviously, this is a young woman that had a great attitude. In spite of her husband, who was harsh and rough and hard to get along with and all of that, I mean, this man was like living with a porcupine. And yet she did not allow even her husband that she lived so closely with to drag her down. She stayed above it, and that's a testimony to her as well. So the servant comes back, and basically beginning in verse 14, and we talked about this a little bit, tells Abigail all that's happened. And notice, in verse 17, the servant says, Be aware of this, Abigail, and see what you can do, for disaster has been planned for our Lord as an entire household. David's coming with 400 men, and they're going to wipe out all of you. Now, here's where we see David's anger getting the best of him, too. And you've heard this term if you've ever, you know, uh, looked at some of the crimes and, 
and murders that even take place in our day, you know, police officers and detectives and, and others will use the term overkill. Like, oh my goodness, that, that person, way too much, you know. Uh, and, and usually they say, well, that's a crime of passion uh, because somebody that really wasn't, had any relationship or connection with them would have never overkilled them that way, right? So there's all this stuff building. Well, that's David. I mean, he's killing a cockroach with a shotgun by taking 400 men up to wipe out one family. But that's how angry David has gotten. It's one of those things that God has to keep working on with David because when he finally does get David to the throne, he doesn't want David to become this man that can't control and restrain his anger. He needs a man on the throne that can control his emotions and can allow the Holy Spirit to control his emotions. We all need to get there. So notice Abigail, verse 18. Abigail moves quickly. She prepares this wonderful meal for David and his men. She loads them on donkeys, and she says to her servants, you go ahead of me, I'll come after you, but I'm not telling my husband Nabal. There again, some wisdom. You know, sometimes even with a spouse or someone close to you, there's times to say things and there's times not to. And she knew, if I go to Nabal, nope, it ain't going to work. I got to do what God's asking me to do, regardless of whether my husband would ever be on board or not. And she knew that this was of God and that God's perfect timing and her even reaching David was going to prevent disaster. So look at this, verse 20. She's riding on her donkey. She goes down to the cover of the mountain and David and his men are coming up at just the time she's coming down. And can you picture it? Here she is riding this donkey. She's got her hand, one hand on the reins of the donkey and on her other hand is the crock pot <laughs> with this wonderful meal that she's prepared for David and his men. And David, look at what he says in verse 21. This is important. David had been thinking, well, there's your problem, David. Because his thoughts aren't God's thoughts. He's been thinking, in vain, I guarded everything that belonged to this man in the desert. I didn't take anything from him, but he's repaid my good with evil. And God will severely punish David. In other words, me, if I leave alive until morning, even one male from all those who belong to him. A couple things. One. David is simply justifying his soon actions. He is preparing to respond like a natural man would and justifying his actions by saying, well, God would punish me if, if I didn't take care of this man. Listen, the problem with us as human beings, even God followers, is we justify everything in our life at times, and we even bring God in to do it. God gets blamed for a lot of stuff that's not his. And we use God, especially as God's people, we use God to justify our actions that are not in line with God. Somehow thinking, well, what can others do to me? If I say this is what God's led me to do, you know, what are we supposed to say to that? Well, 
Did God tell you to go up there and kill all those people today, David, or are you just trying to justify what you're about to do? And we as human beings are really good at justifying things and using God to do it. When Abigail saw David, verse 23, she got down quickly from the donkey, threw herself down before David, and bowed to the ground. Notice, Abigail speaks first with her actions before she says anything. Falling at his feet, she says, my Lord, I accept all the guilt. In other words, David, take it out on me. Don't take it out on anybody else. What a gal. Please let your female servant speak with my Lord. Please listen to the words of your servant. My Lord should not pay attention to this wicked man that I'm married to. He's a fool. But I, your servant, did not see the servants my Lord sent. And you'll notice throughout this how often she uses the words Lord and servant. Those are key expressions. They are expressing her humility before David. Why? Because she sees David the way God sees David, as the future king of Israel, and that he should be treated as such. And by the way, everything that you see Abigail do here shows how great a woman she was. First of all, she is prompt in her actions. Going back up to verse 18, when she needs to move quickly, she moves quickly. She senses the urgency that she needs to do something with. In fact, David even says over in verse 34, if you'd look at it for just a minute, he says to her, if you had not come so quickly to meet me, disaster would have happened. Listen, there's a time, as I've already said in other previous messages, to back up and, and not rush forward, but there's also a time to move and to do something quickly and with a sense of urgency. And there are people in this world, even Christians, they've only got one gear. You can't get them to go any faster or slower. They're just like this. Listen, God doesn't want us to be that way. God wants us to respond to him. And sometimes that means stop and slow down, and sometimes that means get up and move. And so you see her greatness in that. You also see her greatness in the generosity of her gifts. I mean, she prepares this wonderful meal for David and his men. I mean, a meal that was way over the top. And then you see her greatness in the wisdom of her words when she finally does speak. She knows how to approach David, and she's trying to diffuse the anger in David. She's trying to de-escalate the situation, and she does it in a masterful way because she's an incredible woman of God. And God is using her here in a huge way. In fact, she declares that Jehovah is involved in every detail of this encounter between her and David. Notice what she says in verse 26. It is the Lord who has kept you from shedding blood and taking matters into your own hands today. And that's interesting because she's saying that even before David agrees not to kill anyone. It's like she's sort of planting something in his mind. Notice what else she says in verse 28. She assures David of his own future and affirms the trustworthiness of God's promises and prophecies. 
She says in verse 28, the Lord will certainly establish the house of my Lord. In fact, in verse 30, she says, the Lord will do for my Lord everything that he promised you. What a wise woman. What is she doing? Taking David back to the promises of God and to God, getting him refocused, because guess what? He's all filled with anger and, and revenge, and all he wants to do is kill Nabal and, and Nabal's household. And she's like, come on, reset, David. Let's, let's get our mind back on God and on his promises because, listen, you got to keep the goal in front of you in mind, David, because you could, you could tank yourself for what God has for you by making a bad choice today. Keep the big goal in mind, David. Keep the, keep the big picture in mind, David, because you've gotten your eye off of the prize that God has out there ahead of you, and you're going to make a decision today that could undermine that. That's great wisdom. We, we all need to remember that. How is eternity and the fact and truth of eternity affecting our everyday life? And are we making decisions and choices that really aren't keeping eternity in mind? We all need to have that kind of wisdom as we approach everyday life. And are we making a decision now to give us some short-term comfort or relief, but in the long term, it's only going to bring more pain? Many times, even as Christians, we do the same thing. We want relief so bad from something that we're willing to make a bad decision to get relief, but in the long run, it costs us more and brings more pain. And that's what she's trying to get David to see in this passage of Scripture. She says in verse 31, your conscience will not be overwhelmed with guilt for having poured out innocent blood and taking matters into your own hands if you just listen to what God is trying to say to you through me. Well, notice verse 32. David acknowledges that Abigail has been God's instrument and that her intervention prevented him from making a grave mistake. David says to Abigail in verse 32, Praised be the Lord, the God of Israel, who has sent you this day to meet me. David gets it. David finally is awakened to what's going on here. And he realizes, God, thank you. This is also a realization that even though God might not be named a lot in this story, God's fingerprints are all over it because God is with David and God is trying to prevent David from making a mistake that he'll have to live with for the rest of his life. God is the same God with us. He wants to lead us. He wants to, and, and listen, sometimes God lets us have the consequences for our bad choices and doesn't always rescue us so that we can learn the lessons that we need to learn. But other times, like with David, he will come in and try to intervene and prevent us. Because our God, as great as he is at restoring and repairing lives, he is more interested in preventing things from happening in the first place. I mean, in a sense, that's what this book is. It's a book given to us 
to give us wisdom so that we will live in a way where we live to prevent things happening that we'd have to deal with rather than making all these mistakes and then having to learn our lessons the hard way and then asking God to repair and restore. He'd rather do it up front. As I've said, you've heard me say before, it's easier to build a boy than it is to mend a man. And God is more interested, not that he won't mend men, because he does all the time. But God is more interested in building us to where we don't make the mistakes in order to suffer the consequences than it is to get in those situations and have to turn it around. And then notice what David says to Abigail in verse 33. And praise be your good judgment. And he basically heaps all kinds of kind words on her and tells her, thank you. Thank you for being used of God. And then at the end of verse 35, notice what he says. Be assured that I have listened to you and responded favorably. I won't do what I had intended to do. So let's go back real quick to the beginning, to those principles. First of all, you see here, attitude, not our aptitude, determines our altitude. This chapter is all about the great attitude of Abigail and the bad attitude of Nabal and David at this moment. We also see that any day and every day is a big day. Because when David woke up that morning and when Abigail woke up that morning, neither one of them realized how big a day this could be in their lives. David didn't realize that he might be making one of the biggest mistakes he's ever made and that Abigail woke up that morning not realizing she's going to be this huge instrument in the hands of her God to prevent this disaster. And then you have, what are we talking about here? We're talking about relationships with other people and how our, the way we navigate our relationships with each other is really the laboratory of our faith. You know, we can say, yeah, I trust God and I believe God and I believe in the promises of God and I know all these truths out of Scripture, but how does it play out in our everyday relationships with each other? Is our faith seen in the way we treat other people? Even in the way we keep our emotions in check through the power of the Holy Spirit because there was just a few days earlier where David was living in victory and there was Saul in the palm of his hand and yet because he was leaning into God, he was like, nope, but then just a few days later, here's this nobody, Nabal, who insults him and he can't let it go. And he has to let it build up to the point where he's going to go up and murder a bunch of innocent people. That's why every day and any day is a big day. The verse out of this passage and sermon today is actually from the book of James, chapter 1, verse 19. And here's what James writes in James 1:19. Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. Let every person be quick to listen, 
slow to speak and slow to anger. And if you were following the story, you realize that when things were happening the way God wanted them to happen, people in this story were either listening very carefully and attentively to God or they were listening very carefully and attentively to one another. And by the way, you and I can't listen effectively if we're talking. So that's why the Bible says, first of all, you and I need to be better listeners. All of us could use to be better listeners. And the Bible tells us, start off by being quick to always listen. Then, slow to speak. Well, we live in a day and an age where that's not the case, even for Christians. We are so ready, like the rest of our culture and the world, to say something first. No, Bible says that's not wisdom. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. That verse to me sort of summarized everything that God was looking for in 1 Samuel 25 with Nabal, with David, and certainly with Abigail. She, more than anyone else, epitomized James 1.19. And God wants us to do the same. So today, I think for all of us, we just need to make sure that we realize that any day and every day is a big day and that we need the Lord every day. I'm going to ask Nicole and our worship team to come. And I'm going to ask you to stand and join me in prayer as we close our message today and get ready for our time of worship and dedication. Father, we thank you for these stories in the Bible that even though they happened so many thousands of years ago, Lord, people are people. <laughs> and we still have the same issues with one another and the same struggles with our emotions and, and things that they had back then. And so, Lord, I just pray today for all of us that, Lord, we will realize how important every day is in our life, that we will realize, Lord, that you want to shape our attitude every day and that you want our attitude not only towards you but towards other people in our life to reflect your attitude and your heart. And, God, may we realize that we have such an opportunity every day in the laboratory of faith to express our growth and our maturity and our Christ-likeness as we relate to one another. God, use us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.